Hello, I'm Drew Cat, EdChoice's Director of State Research and Policy Analysis, and I'm joined today by Lindsay Burke, Director of the Center for Education Policy for the Heritage Foundation, an EdChoice Fellow, a doctoral candidate at George Mason University, and co-author of our latest report, Surveying the Military. What America's service members, veterans, and their spouses think about K-12 education and the profession. Welcome, and thank you for taking the time with us today, Lindsay. You are very busy these days. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I'm also joined by EdChoice's Vice President of Research and Innovation, Paul DePerna. Paul also authored the report we'll be discussing today, along with Lindsay and Ann Ryland. Welcome, Paul. Hey, Drew. Thanks for having me. Hi, Lindsay. Hey, Paul. Let's start with the question everyone will ask. Why study the military's views on education? In other words, what inspired this new research and what ground did you cover in your questionnaire? So that's a really good question, Drew. I think that, you know, after November, we were talking internally because uh, there was a lot of discussion out there in the, the public domain about like, you know, what's the role of the federal government, especially when it comes to advancing school choice. And so we were thinking about that a lot. And, you know, there are ideas about a tax credit scholarship program of some kind at the federal level. And our view is that school choice is better implemented and enacted at the state and local level. But we did talk a little bit about the military needs and the population could use some more options and access to other types of uh, schools or education providers, whether public or private. And so we were talking internally about that a little bit here and there. And then lo and behold, all of a sudden, uh, Lindsay called me up one day and had a great idea based on a lot of the work that she had been doing with her colleagues at the Heritage Foundation. And so maybe take it from there, Lindsay, and how that kind of, you know, some of the work that you were doing and how you've been thinking about this issue. Yeah, so it was one of those great minds, think alike situation where we had both independently started really thinking about how could we better serve these families who have sacrificed so much uh, for our country. And it was, you know, we really started at Heritage thinking about it when we came across some pretty, I think, startling statistics about the educational experiences military families have had. And it was, I think, just eye-opening for us when we read that the schooling options that are available to military-connected children can play a role in whether a family chooses to even accept an assignment or even to, to leave or to stay in military service altogether. And we had read a, a poll from an independent organization that said 35% of families, of military families, were dissatisfied with their children's education to the point that it was a significant factor in their decision to leave or to remain in military service. And when we read that, I mean, that we just really took a big step back and said, wow, this is not only an education issue that we're dealing with here, but 
this is a retention issue. This is something that could actually have national security implications. And so that immediately got us thinking, how can we better serve these families who have served us so well, which, of course, led us to thinking about surveying them, hearing more about their experiences, and ultimately getting their insights uh, and perspectives on this broader question of how we can reform education and provide some school choice options for them. Yeah, that's fascinating. So can you tell us more about your sample, Paul and Lindsay? Sure, Drew. Yeah, so we... For this survey, we interviewed online and by telephone 1,200 military households. And so the sample includes active duty service members, veterans, and active duty spouses and veteran spouses. And so roughly like as part of the sample, um, we were you know, fortunate enough to survey about 40% of our samples active duty military members about a quarter are veterans who had previously served in the U.S. Armed Forces, and then about 11% were active duty spouses, and 27% were veteran spouses. And as far as in the sample, it's across all the different military service branches and also varying a lot in terms of their length of service, where about two out of five had served four, four years or less, but then we also had close to 10% who had served 20 years or more. And then there's quite a few in between there in terms of their the length of their service. Uh, male and female, about almost 50-50. It was about 43% male, 57% female. And um, along other demographics too, we just saw that we were able to reach a nice cross-section of the military households. Yeah, I, I think Paul covered the sample pretty well. Don't really have anything to, to add to that, but it was nationally representative sample of these families, both veteran and active duty military. And I'll just say th- this was important because it is uh, to our, um, as far as we know, uh, one of the, if not the first survey to not only interview these families, survey these families about their educational experiences, but specifically ask this population about their opinions on school choice, and some of the newer iterations of school choice, like education savings accounts. Um, To our knowledge, there isn't another survey out there that has specifically asked these populations, uh, military families and and veterans, what their opinions are on school choice specifically. Right. Yeah. And just to follow up what Lindsay just said, I mean, yeah, so we saw this as an opportunity to break some new ground in terms of asking questions about educational choice issues and subjects. Uh, and then also, I mean, there have been some other surveys of military families, and we incorporated and adapted some of their questions that were asked in those surveys to have some comparison. But yeah, we saw this as a really good opportunity, and the timing was good to try to better understand these families and their needs and how educational choice policies may be able to help them. Yeah, so speaking of uh, military families and education, what did you find that military families think about K-12 education today? And what is it they're not getting out of the system now? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I, I think this is one of the key findings uh, from the survey. When families, when these military families were asked where they would like to send their children to school, 68% of the respondents said something other than a district public school, a traditional public school. I mean, that's 
that's a lot, right? I yeah. mean, if nearly seven out of 10 respondents chose something other than a traditional district school, so 34% of them said their preference would be private, 17% said charter. So while you have seven, almost seven out of 10 saying they would prefer something other than a district school, 80% of them are sending their children to district schools. And so there's a real, I think, disconnect there right. that suggests to us that while mo- the vast majority, right, 80% are sending likely because they have to and are assigned to those district schools based on their uh, where their next duty station is, so while 80% of them have to attend district schools or are assigned to them, nearly 7 out of 10 would prefer something different. And that, that I think, is a really critical point. Yeah, I mean that that is that's a big uh, a, a big finding in terms of just this misalignment between these you know these preferences of uh, you know of military families and what we actually see in terms of their real you know in, real world enrollments. Yeah. So then, going beyond just schooling types, what do military families think about educational choice programs? Yeah, so they uh, they seem quite receptive to education choice programs. Uh, so the survey put out the idea of, of education savings accounts, school choice, but education savings accounts specifically, um, just in a sort of general term, you know, what do you think about the idea of education savings accounts and school choice? And it got broad support. About 51% of all respondents um, supported the idea along with about 57% of active duty respondents. However, when a description was provided to respondents describing school choice and specifically describing what an education savings account does, how it works, that number just jumped up dramatically. About 75% of active duty military families support the idea of education savings accounts, of being able to control their share of dollars and to use them to pay not only for private school tuition, but the whole multitude of other education-related services and products and providers that ESAs enable families to finance. And so that level of support, 75% level of support among active duty respondents for ESAs, I, I think was the most notable finding that came out of our survey. Yeah, I, I mean that is such a, um, a high level of support and higher than we typically see in our national and state polling that we've done in, in previous years. And as Lindsay mentioned, that jump in support from this baseline no description question and how that shot up more, you know, about twenty points uh, to when, when they are given a description. I mean, that, that to me was one of the more surprising findings, uh, where we typically see a jump of maybe like 10 to 15 points. And there were some other questions in the survey where we asked families about what they do to secure and accommodate for their child's K-12 education. And we see that these military families make humongous sacrifices at higher rates than what we've seen among the general population and the national average and our other polling. And so, you know, whether it's taking out a new loan, transporting their children to and from school, asking other friends and family to help to support their child's education. So these families are, these military families are, are very proactive. They seem to be a very proactive population, much more so than even the national average. 
And that's where the impression that I'm taking away is that ESAs fit into that type of uh, profile of very active, invested, engaged parents and families. And ESAs offer that flexibility to help families either support their tuition to transfer schools or for tutoring, taking online courses and other types of educational activities. So we asked some contextual questions uh, even before we asked the school choice questions and and it seems like there is, you know, that kind of, there's a story there that that emerged out of the polling. Yeah, and, and I'll just uh, piggyback on that too. I, I, you're exactly right, I think, with the, the way in which these families are uh, engaged with their children's education and really taking the reins of it uh, already, right? So they, in our survey, we found that about 54% of military families had paid for either before or after care services for their children compared to 35% of the military or of the civilian population. And then on the tutoring piece, that was pretty high as well, right. about 29%. of military families had paid for private tutoring. And these types of ancillary services after school programming, tutoring, are exactly the types of a la carte options that ESAs enable parents to finance. Yeah, that's totally right. And so far, you've both mentioned uh, some findings that were surprising to you. But were there any other findings that surprised you or stood out? Well, I I think a lot of it is uh, consistent with what we hear from families about the need for education choice generally. So when these, uh, which which is to say, you know, I think military families are like all of us, right? They're like every parent. They want quality education options for their children, and they want choice, (laughs) Surprise, surprise, people like choice. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't surprising. Um, I thought it was notable, though, that when we delved into the reasons families supported, military families supported ESAs, it was primarily access to a better academic environment. Uh, but it was right under that, the next most popular reason was just more freedom and flexibility for parents. And, you know, I mean, that is, I think, uh, part and parcel of why education choice for the military population in particular is so important. If you think about the nature of military life, uh, families moving far more frequently than your uh, civilian population moves, Um, children moving within state frequently or moving across state lines frequently as well. Families will get new um, uh, assignments at different duty stations and, you know, they they follow where they're supposed to go. And so, you know, picking up and moving can really be um, a challenge for a lot of families in terms of matching education providers uh, with their children's needs. And so, you know, I think that 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 really stood out to me, that flexibility component is what these families are really seeking out. But it's not surprising if you consider just the nature of military life in general. I think, you know, for me, one of the more surprising findings was that jump and support from baseline to descriptive item for the ESAs, and even even for the other mm-hmm. choice questions, like on the voucher items. But then there was a set of items where we asked them to rate their local school districts on a range of indicators. And for the most part, they were on balance. They tended toward being positive about like some of the ratings that they would give their school districts. So you have that on the one hand, that finding. But then you have this other finding about their views on choice policies, on ESAs, vouchers, so forth. 
and how high those levels of support were and how wide those margins were when you compared the support versus the opposition responses. And so despite relative satisfaction with some of the services that their school districts provide them in terms of like keeping them informed about school activities, providing school counseling activities, communicating with parents, some communication-related services, it was kind of fascinating to me to see this really high-level support for choice policies as well and how that held up. And I think so that speaks to something, and Lindsay had mentioned this a few minutes ago, about this flexibility and, uh, for lack of a better word, you know, power, you know, empowering households to make decisions for their kids, to give them the best education that they have. So there's something else there that they're yearning for. At least that's my read into the pattern of those different findings. Yeah, and Paul, you'd mentioned um, that you did look at some cross-sections and subgroups. And when you look at the specific demographics and subgroups, did anything stand out? You know, so we did ask them questions about if they had enrolled their child for at least a period of time in any one type of school environment, whether it was a public charter school, district school, private school, or homeschooling. And it was interesting to me that Latino parents consistently reported higher rates of basically trying out these different types of schooling environments. And so you saw that more than half of Latino parents in our sample said that they had tried a charter school for their child, and that was significantly higher than white parents or even African-American parents. And we saw that more than half, about 52% of Latino families had tried a private school for their child. And then even two out of five, about 42%, said that they had tried to homeschool their child. So that just struck me as, uh, that, you know, for one of those you know, subgroup findings that really, that we hadn't really seen that before. And it's just something that I didn't expect. So how can policymakers and school choice advocates use this report? Uh, what can they take away and use right now? Yeah. Well, first I would say another finding that we had that really stood out was exactly on that question. What do these families, active duty, veteran, military families think about congressional action on such a question? So should Congress consider a proposal, uh, the way the question was worded, to establish an education savings account option for military families? And 72% of active duty respondents favored something like that happening. Um, and, and I think it's worthwhile noting that, you know, Paul mentioned at the top of the, the segment that school choice is rightly a, a state and local, primarily a state and local issue. And, and that's absolutely right if you think about um, both the, the U.S. Constitution, but also if you just think about financing, right? The federal government's a pretty, pretty meager stakeholder in education financing. They're responsible for 10% of everything that's spent on K-12. So the money's really at the state and local level. However, military families are one of those um, groups who are in a unique position vis-a-vis -vis federal involvement in advancing education choice. Um, national security, national defense is an enumerated power of the federal government and providing for the education of military-connected children uh, is something that the federal government has historically uh, been involved with. And so it is appropriate to think about how we can establish some choice options uh, through federal policy for military families 
and it's appropriate to think about how we can maybe modernize existing programs, education programs for military families to transition them into choice-based policies. I think at the end of the day, no matter what population it is, but it's critical for, for military families who move so much, at the end of the day, this is about money, the dollars that we currently spend going to children, going to families, instead of to institutions, instead of to physical school buildings, and really empowering those families to, to choose options that work for them. And our respondents agreed with that to a, a very large extent, 72%. And so I think uh, there is a lot of room and appetite, and it's appropriate for Washington to actually think about advancing choice options for military families, for service members and their children. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that based on what we found in this survey, I th- you know, this hopefully can just bring fuller context and understanding of, you know, the where military families are coming from, especially when it comes to their schooling activities and educational activities. And really, as Lindsay described, a really good opportunity to rethink how the federal government supports the education of active duty military families and to try to consider uh, more choice-based, choice-friendly policies so that these families do have that kind of flexibility and that hopefully because of those policies, they would be able to stay and serve longer. So I think that this is just a good window of opportunity for folks on the Hill and in Congress to consider some some new measures, some new thinking around education policies for military households. And speaking of opportunities, uh, what other research do you think could or should be done following this report? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I've been thinking about this as we've been writing up the report. It would be fascinating to follow like a panel of military families over a long period of time. Uh, ideally, you know, I mean, we're talking maybe like over the course of, and and there are survey programs through the U.S. Department of Education that do have these types of panel surveys where they go back periodically and interview whether it's parents, teachers, school principals, and students and just see how uh, they respond uh, differently to similar items over a very long period of time. And I think it would be excellent to do something like that for military families over you know at least a decade or more just to see ideally trying to catch them as they're entering the K-12 schooling years and to see how their experiences progress over time. And then to see both parents and those students to see what their later, you know, outcomes are after those K-12 schooling years are behind them. And ideally, if there could be some policy changes or enactments in that time, then you could have some pre and post types of analyses to see how those policies maybe have uh, affected their, you know, their behaviors and activities. And, and I think there's a lot of room for not only research on this topic, but also uh, more thought about different policy reforms that are needed and uh, appropriate and long overdue. We talked a little bit about federal policy changes, but you know, this is also a state-level issue without a doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, the proportion of military families state-to-state varies pretty widely. You've got places like Texas and North Carolina, uh, Illinois, uh, Missouri, Kansas that have uh, you know high levels of military families. Um, you know North Carolina and Texas in particular, but California as well. 
Uh, so it's time, I think, at the state level to really think about, um, in addition to any federal policy, this federal-state choreography to really ensure that these families have access to options that work for them. And that and that was one of the other things that really catalyzed our work in this uh, field was when we looked at the proportion of military families who are out there, active duty families with school-aged children, and looked at where they were located state to state, base to base, and then assessed the school choice landscape for them, we found that only half of all military-connected children are in states with any type of school choice options whatsoever. So in addition to federal policy enabling families to leverage uh, their share of education dollars, it's also a matter of state-level policy, um, of states taking the opportunity and, and really providing these families with school choice options. Um, you know, I, I think ESAs are a really great uh, way to go for families. So, if, you know, a state like Texas uh, providing military families with education savings accounts would go a long way in ensuring these families are taken care of, served well, and that retention is not an issue for them moving forward. Yeah. So before we sign off, what's next for each of you? And do you have anything else you'd like to add? Well, I'll just say that we're thinking, you know, these survey results were, um, you know, I think uh, in part eye-opening, but in part not entirely surprising. Like I said earlier, you know, I, I was not surprised that military families are, are like all families and that they want choice and, and options for their children that are well matched to the needs of their children. Uh, but now we, I think, have a real uh, jumping-off point for additional research, for policy reforms and recommendations. So we'll be thinking about that more systematically moving forward. And then also just reaching out to, to military families themselves, hearing about their experiences. Uh, we're hoping to do events with families here, uh, events with policymakers, working with folks on the Hill to think through uh, policy changes uh, in the next few months. So that's that's definitely on the radar for us. Yeah, just like what Lindsay just said, I mean, I think engagement is a big thing and a huge priority for us after this you know, report's been released. And we hope to be talking a lot more with policymakers, whether it's at the federal level or at the state level, like Lindsay had mentioned to see what possibilities there might be for any new kinds of programs or policies and to, and really to educate those key stakeholders in terms of learning more about the different types, you know, what education savings accounts do and, and how they can be useful for families. And so we hope to do more events and meetings in the coming weeks and months around the release of this report. And then we also have separately our national survey coming out in about uh, a month, month and a half in November. And that would be a good opportunity to have more current numbers nationally to compare to some of these military responses that we found in our survey. And so uh, that's the next thing on our plate. Yeah, those comparisons will be pretty interesting. Thank you both so much for joining us and sharing this crucial study of military families and veterans. Well, thanks for having us, and thanks to, to EdChoice in particular for seeing this as an important issue and, and working to, to survey these families. I think this is going to be really foundational for education choice moving forward. Yeah, I agree. Thanks, Anne. Lindsay, it's been a joy working with you and Anne on this report. So thanks for all the work that you guys have been doing. Likewise. 
Check out the description box for a link to the full Surveying the Military report. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more of our coverage of new school choice research and education reform policy chats. Thank you for listening, and until next time, take care. Thank <laughs> you.